Opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only, and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay. You are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR, 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Patty, and we are doing a show today. I have a very special guest in my studio here. I'm so excited that she's here. But we are doing a show today on what it's like to be a child of a mentally ill parent. And I want to give a little bit of intro about this first, and then she is going to tell her story. She said they're smiling at me real big because she's nervous, and I love that. So um, I'm going to introduce her in a little bit, and she's going to tell you what it was like to grow up with a severely mentally ill mom. And she's being vulnerable and transparent and very brave, and I love that. And she's an adult now. So... What I want to introduce this to you as is, you know how I often talk about things that are on a spectrum, from very little, mild, not very much, to very, very severe. So let's look at the idea of mentally ill parents on that spectrum. You might have somebody with very mild anxiety or very mild depression, and they take medication and they manage that. And down at that end of the spectrum where it's very, very mild, My expectation as a therapist would be they still function. They get up, they do the laundry, they make breakfast for their kids, they meet their children's needs, and they just struggle a little bit with a mood disorder. Now, hopefully, from my perspective, they get treatment for that. They're either in therapy or they work with their doctor or both, and they really do their best to manage their mood disorder, if it's a chronic mood disorder, or even if it's just, you know, in relation to trauma in their life or things like that. So let's travel down that spectrum to something more moderate where someone really struggles with depression and they have to really work hard to pull themselves out of bed, but they're still functioning. And one of the factors we're looking for on severity is functioning. Can you get out of bed? Can you take care of your kids? Can you um, go to work? Can you function? And In fact, when somebody comes into my office and we're talking about depression, one of the first things I'm looking for is, does it ever impair your ability to live your life? I don't mean how happy you are. I mean, can you function? So now go down that spectrum for more severity, and we get all the way to that other end where someone is severely mentally ill. Now, there's some mental illnesses that are so severe that parenting is not even an option. Maybe uh, severe schizophrenia where somebody is... Uh, psychotically schizophrenic and they can, can barely keep it together and medication is um, iffy for them. But I'm not even talking about that kind of severe uh, mental illness where somebody is really not in touch with reality. Back up a little bit on that severity and go to something like severe bipolar disorder, often not medicated and are medicated and not medicated well or s- with stability. And it is also not unusual for somebody with a pretty severe mental illness like severe depression or severe bipolar to mess with their medications or totally stop taking their medications um, or run out and say, I was doing so well, I didn't think I needed them. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that over 30 years. And 
then they'll throw themselves into a bipolar episode and it goes downhill from there. So along that spectrum, what we're talking about here today is further down that spectrum. So, and I want to be very careful about that because so many people take antidepressants now and struggle with some anxiety and struggle with some depression in their life, but it doesn't make them a bad parent. It doesn't make them not function. Um, And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, she's talking about me, (laughs) I'm probably not, okay? Because that's kind of like what it's like in the world today. The world is chaotic. It's stressful. Um, Everybody has too many irons in the fire. And then you add all the political unrest and the stress from uh, all the things we're seeing in our world today. And it really weighs on people. So let's put that aside um, we've, I've done shows on depression and anxiety. You can listen to my podcast. Go to Dr. Patricia Bay, Therapy in a Nutshell, and you'll see those podcasts. So further down the spectrum, we're talking about pretty severe depression, uh, severe bipolar disorder, uh, things that sometimes are managed okay with medication if the medication is taken, if the person goes through the gamut of trying to find the right medication. That's always hard, too. Uh, Sometimes, like especially with bipolar disorder, it's a cocktail of medications that are going to work for you, not just one, and you have to try several before you finally find one that fits for you. Um, And you might go in there and say, my friend's on XYZ, I want to try that. Your doctor sometimes will say, okay, let's try that. But it doesn't mean if it worked for your friend, it's going to work for you. The world of psychotropic medications is... um, interesting. And there is no blood test that'll tell you, ah, you need 20 milligrams of this. It doesn't work that way. It's hit or miss and try to find it. And you have to work closely with your doctor. And hopefully it's a doctor that knows how to prescribe psychotropics. If there's no psychiatrist in your area, then hopefully it's a really experienced family physician or your gynecologist or something like that. Okay. So I hope I've set the stage here well, because I don't want someone to get the wrong idea and think that I'm talking about mild anxiety, mild depression, people that really manage that stuff. Okay, so we have a few minutes left in this section of the show, and I want to take a couple minutes to introduce my guest. She's Now she's smiling. Okay, right here sitting in front of me is Megan. I have known Megan since she was little. Like You were in like nine or ten. I can't remember exactly. And have traveled this journey with her a lot. And she's given me permission to say that. So um, get your mic up by your your face. She's like, her mic's way down at the table. Uh, This is Megan. And she lived a very interesting life with her mom who had severe bipolar disorder. And I just want to do a caveat or something. I love your mom. Everybody loved your mom. My mom was wonderful. And your mom today, uh, your mom passed away. If If your mom today knew we were doing this show, she would be like, yeah, and she'd be right here, and she'd be talking to everybody about bipolar disorder and what it was like. She would be my cheerleader. She would be your cheerleader. Mm -hmm. So this is Megan, everybody. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm just so grateful that you are willing to be vulnerable and brave and talk about this, because this is really the first time you've talked about your childhood On this type of platform, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I feel I'm generally transparent about my story, but 
speaking to on the radio about it is a different story. Exactly. And i got to tell you, one reason Meg's, I always call her Meg's, was willing to come and do this today is it's her desire to help other people. Whether you're currently a, a child in a relationship with a mentally ill parent or you're an adult who still has the trauma from it or is trying to recover or not think about it anymore, <laughs> Megan wants to tell her story to help other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that's so cool. And we're going to, in the second part of the show, she's going to, I'm just going to let her talk and tell her story. <laughs> and it, it, it's a beautiful, very difficult story. But Megan, tell, tell us a little bit about you. How old are you now? Sure. Um, I'm 31 years old. Uh-huh. Um, I was raised in the Reading area. I currently reside in Sacramento. Uh-huh. I am um, a stay-at-home mom um, and also a student finishing a psychology degree. Uh-huh. Um, You've got two kids. I do. I have two children, three, almost three and almost one. It's very busy right now. My uh-huh. wonderful partner, Ian, is home taking care of them so I could be <laughs> here today. It's like a little vacation for me almost. Um <laughs> Shout out to Ian for, yes. for shout out dad to Ian. duty. He's yeah. a wonderful father. I just love that man. Yes, yes. So. He's an angel. Um, and, yeah, so it's been four years since my mother's passing. Actually, this week is her anniversary of her death. Next week. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. I, and we've talked about that, that this is yes. apropos. Yes, <laughs> yes. This is a, a good week to do this. Um, and, um, yeah, so my story... Uh, is complex. Um, I'm grateful for my story. I feel like I um, have a overall a success story. I feel like I've come out the other end um, in good standing. Um, and I'll finish my story after this break. Yeah, you will. You to say you've come out of this your story in good standing is an understatement. You are incredible, and you're a strong ass woman, which I love. Thank you. So we're going to go to break, and when we come back. Megan's going to tell you about her life, and it's fascinating. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty. You're listening to the incredibly beautiful Native American music of Randy McGinnis. You can go to randymcginnis.com and check out all six of his CDs. Thank you, Randy, for allowing us to use your music on this show. And just before we start, I want to do a shout-out to a listener named Rhonda, who has been enjoying the show and the podcast, and I just want to tell Rhonda in Indianapolis, hello. All right, we're back here with Megan, and I'm going to turn you loose and just let you tell your story. And if, if as a listener, I come up with a question that I think people might want the answer to, I'll kind of direct you back there. Okay. All right, go for it, babe. Uh, thank you, Patty. Where to begin? Um, well, I'm uh, an only child, um, to, uh, and I was primarily raised in Reading, as I said. Um, my story with my mom begins with, I knew around the time I was eight years old that something was off with my mom. Um, I started to feel that she was unsafe at times. Um, she became unpredictable. Um, I didn't know what uh, the day would bring with her. I started to have to test the temperature as the, the room, as uh, mm-hmm. Patty sometimes <laughs> says. Um, I I didn't know if she would be depressed or if she would be manic 
or if she would be feeling angry or happy. And I kind of had to mold to her moods and ride whatever wave she was on for that day. Um, my, uh, for clarification, my mom's exact uh, diagnosis um, was bipolar one with psychotic episodes. Um, there were times where my mom would be on her medication and she was wonderful and I enjoyed her so much and um, she was my best friend in many ways. It makes me I know, it makes you miss her. Yeah. It's okay, sweetie. Now you miss your mom. Um, sorry. Um, and um, but then there would be times where she would um, try to adjust her medication or just get off of her medication. She was highly um, creative and very brilliant. Um, and she always expressed that her medications would dampen her cre- her creativity. So um, she was always playing with her meds to still capture that create- creative element. Um, but oftentimes it would lead to depression or um a full-blown manic episode that could last a very long time. And just to clarify what that can look like, when a when a severe bipolar is in a depressive episode, it's not like they're just sad. They could be in bed for days, can't yes. function, not eating, not yes. showering, yes. really out of it. Yes, and I absolutely feared she would kill herself at times. Um, I would come home and hope that she was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, it was a a constant state of anxiety that I felt. And as a child, that's really interesting to come home and test the air. Is my mom under the influence of something? Is she depressed? Mm -hmm. Is she manic and running around like, you know, kind of a wild person? Yes. (laughs) And uh, what what state is she in? So you're walking in the door going, what am I walking into? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you had to take care of whatever you walked into. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, there were times where she absolutely um, started self-medicating with um, narcotics of of a, of a wide variety. Mm-hmm. Um, and some days she would be very inebriated. Some days she would be, you know, more more stable. Um, there would be times where I'd walk in where she had overdosed. Um, and um, yeah, and I, and I definitely had to jump jump in to play mom for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I. I lost that role as child at some point. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. and if even just remembering it and speaking about it is brings back some of the heartache and the yeah. trauma of that. Yes. Yeah, and I know your dad was around. Yes. He He worked a lot. He did. And I, from everything we've talked about, he did his best to run interference between you and your mom. Yes. But, yes, um, my dad was definitely a stable feature in my life. Um, But there was so much that he could do to, um, I guess, help me. My mom, when she was unwell, was a very big uh, character, big energy, loud, um, a force that was very hard to um, interfere with. Mm -hmm. So um, it was difficult for anybody to manage my mother and, and protect me. Uh, you know, as the child. Right. I re- I remember the time that you were nine years old and you had to drive the car. Oh, yeah. Because she yeah. kind of made you drive the car. <laughs> well, oftentimes I, I, I made her let me drive the car. Um, I would know that she was unwell in one way or another, either that be inebriated or just manic and, and uh, 
impulsive and a danger. Um, so I would make her let me drive the car. So, so I, I want you I want you to picture a little nine year old, and you're you're a petite person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like you were a real tall nine year old. Yeah, I don't even know how you reached the pedals. Mm-hmm. You drove the car because your mom wasn't safe. Yes, and you had to make that decision, make her let you, mm-hmm. and drive the car. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a, like a really minute example. Yes. You had to cook, mm-hmm. pick her up off the floor, mm-hmm. make sure she was safe, make sure she was breathing. Yes. And these are some of the things that happen with severe mental illness. Mm-hmm. So what was it like when she was in a psychotic kind of bipolar break? Oh, um, well, mania is often the the characteristics of it is grandiosity. Um, mm-hmm. There's delusions. Uh, she would hallucinate. Um, she would think that she was God or an angel or had superpowers in some kind of way. So it was literally like talking to, mm-hmm. I mean, someone who was psychotic. I mean, um, she was not based in reality. Um, I I remember this one instance which there was many like this, but this one stuck out where I came home and she was frightened and she didn't want me to move when I walked in the house because she felt the shadow people were there and they were going to arm me. And so it was, it, you know, I was angry. I remember feeling angry, but then also realizing that she's unwell and I needed to comfort her um, in that moment to assure her that we were safe. How old were you? Oh, that was probably when I was 12. Okay. Yeah. Um, the responsibilities put on a child to to diagnose, to evaluate, to save, to help, to parent, you were parentified yeah. and in charge of your mom's mental illness mm-hmm. a lot. Yes. And, and my responsibilities changed as I got older. I tried to separate myself from her at times because it was, she was impossible to manage and it, uh, interfered with me progressing in my life. Um, I was always trying to save her in one way or another. Um, but you know, at a certain point, I had to get police interference with her. Um, I had to constantly call the police and get her institutionalized. I feel often mania ends in either hospitalization, um, prison, or death. Yeah, and suicide is very common. Yes, and um, she always, I think always is a valid statement, ended up in an institution, Mm -hmm. Um, and that usually ended her mania or at least stabilized her temporarily. Right. They'd get her back on her meds. Mm -hmm. She'd eat regularly. She'd start to get some sleep. And and those are the things that stabilize a manic episode. So, and and they made her do that. Yes. (laughs) She wasn't under her own volition at that point. And I, I also remember the time sometimes when, when she was hospitalized for sometimes it was months at a time, mm-hmm. it was a break for you and your dad. Yeah. Sure. Yes, it, it was quiet at home. Yeah, it was quiet. It was quiet. So at what point in your childhood do you think you started getting angry or getting resentful? Oh, or? oh I think I was able to more so express my anger probably when I was 16, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do with that anger. I didn't know how to really cope with it. Though I had an amazing therapist that did walk (laughs) (laughs) through that chapter with me. But I I had a story that had to unfold for me to really um, return to myself and care for myself on an emotional level that was lasting. 
Yes, and that was a, a tumultuous time for you. Mm-hmm. As it is, you know, picture any 16-year-old who's trying to figure out who they are, come to terms with boys and love and school and when, what am I going to do with college or whatever. And here you are coming home to taking care of your mom, mm-hmm. and you didn't really want to, but you had to, mm-hmm. and you had no choice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like when somebody says, take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah. yes. Let me get right on that. Yes. I got to go home and test the water on where my mom is today. Yes. So, And, and that brings up another point, because sometimes you have some family support. Sometimes you have friends that support. But, but people aren't there 24-7, and they don't always see the nuances of mental illness. Yes. And they might not see her at all when she's really bad mm-hmm. because she might not even leave the house. Yes. Yes. And one thing that you said was um, I, I didn't have the choice with my mom. And that is true to one one degree. Um, but after my parents got divorced, um, I uh, had the choice to either be at my father's house or be at my mother's house. And I often chose to be at my mother's house because I was scared that she would not make it without right. me. Um, right. So even though I had a choice, quote unquote, I didn't really have the choice. If I, no. You didn't feel like you could leave her alone. No. And what's interesting is when she was the worst, you really didn't have a choice. Yeah, I, yes. If she was kind of stable, that's mm-hmm. when you would go to your dad's. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, you know, we're, we're actually just talking about the tip of the iceberg. Yes. Because the thing I really want people to get is when you deal with any chronic anything, whether it's mental illness or a terminal illness or anything like that, people on the outside only see bits and pieces. You don't see the whole thing. In my house, when Rich was dying of his brain disease, I called it the three-day effect. It took three days of somebody being there 24-7 for them to go, wow, how do you deal with this? And it would have been the same with your mom. They would have had to be there for quite a spell to see your mom cycle through everything. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So the one who knows all of it is you. Yes, I am the expert on, <laughs> on this subject. <laughs> yes, you are powerful. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, uh, Meg's going to tell you a little bit more about her story, but we're also going to start talking about how that makes kids of mentally ill parents feel. And by the end of the show, we want to give you some coping skills. We can't fix it for you, but we want to tell you some things that might help. All right, we're going to go to break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, Dr. Patricia Bay. And I've got here in the studio with me, Megan, and we are talking to her about having been raised by a mentally ill mom. And she's being so transparent and brave. I just love it. Hey, I wanted to give you guys a referral, too. Uh, My daughter, Tara Bedford, wrote an incredible song called Pain You Cannot See. Um, She has an autoimmune disorder, so it really fits for people that have pain that isn't visible to the outside world. And you might really resonate with it. Those of you that are listening to this that have either mental illness yourself or struggle with somebody that's mentally ill, and it creates pain in you that others don't know is there. Go listen to Pain You Cannot See. You can pull it up on YouTube. Pain You Cannot See by Tara Bedford. Okay, Megs, you're talking about your mom and what you went through. Tell me some things that you think you might have left out that you want to share with people. Um, some of the residual 
uh, effects of my experience, I think, are something to touch upon. Um, mm-hmm. I think I had to uh, realize at one point that my mother was not a reflection of me. Mm-hmm. And just because she was mentally ill does not mean that I am or am going to be mentally ill. Um, but I had that fear for quite some time. And and I still have moments of fear perk up with um, in regards to my children. My children are wonderful and they're healthy and fine, but I still hope, you know, that uh, mental illness won't be a part of their story. Um, it was absolutely a traumatizing experience for me. Um, and um, I hope I hope that I don't have to return to yeah. a story like that again. I hope you've done that once and don't have to do it again. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that. So... That gene of mental illness is scary for you. Yes. And and we're left off kind of talking about when you were 16 and you had you were stepping into your own life and trying to figure out who you were. You were yes. you're beginning to look at going off to college. How do you leave your mom and go off to college yes. when she was so volatile? Yes. And I remember in those early college years when you're struggling to figure out who you are, struggling to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember there was a time that you tried to not take care of your mom mm-hmm. that that my my early adult life I was very confused I was very out of touch with who I was I feel my mom and I had a very codependent relationship and I never was able to identify who I was and yeah and you kind of didn't know where your mom ended and you began yes so my early adult life was very much trying to cope with my my experience and then find myself. Um, and then at a certain point, after understanding what boundaries are and trying to establish boundaries with my mom and realizing she did not respect boundaries, they had to separate from her um, with distance and um, with not answering the phone. And during that time, it was very hard for me to do that. But during that time, I feel like I was able to connect to myself and find myself um, more clearly. Um, Even a disconnect must have created anxiety for you. Oh, absolutely. It isn't like you have found peace. No. No, no. it was how many times did you have to not answer the phone? Exactly, exactly. And just repeatedly uh, hold firm with my boundaries, which is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Well, and your mom, when she was in a manic, she might dial your phone a hundred times. Yes. I mean, we're not talking about, oh, there were two calls that you didn't answer. Yes. Or she would show up on my porch or, uh, you know, who knows what it was going to be. She would get my attention in one way or another. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and again, this is just really touching the tip of the iceberg. Yes. Okay. So you mentioned codependency, and I think that's really important for us to recognize codependency my definition of that is when you take care of someone else's needs to the detriment of your own whether you're forced to do that you have you know they're going to die if you don't or you've been trained to do that or part of you thinks that's the kind thing to do it's not about you've got a mentally ill parent and you're doing the best you can to help them, manage them, get them to their appointments, make sure they take their medicine, all that. It's when that helping harms you. And that can be a fine line, huh? You can cross that line and go, oh, this is really bad for me. How do I get back over the line? So you mentioned that you felt like you had a codependent relationship with your mom. And what we're talking about in your early childhood is you were trying to figure out how is this harming me and how do I try to set a boundary, and 
who am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I without her? Yeah. My main role was her and caring for her, being her caretaker in a lot of ways. Yeah, you were parentified from a very early age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. When somebody has bipolar and they're in a manic, especially a psychotic manic, I, that, hap- that takes all the oxygen out of the room. That's the way I think about it. You're trying to breathe, and all the oxygen's being sucked out of the room. But you still have to stand there and try to breathe and try to take care of everything. It does not mean it's easy or that you know what to do. Even even a trained professional might not know what to do in that instance. So you left to go to college, and you're still trying to manage that by phone. Yes. And her popping into your life and you coming home as often as you could to yes. take care of her. And still well, having to hospitalize her. Yes. Um, there were times where she would get stable, and she would actually move <laughs> down to where I was mm-hmm. for months at a time, and which was wonderful when she was stable. I, I mean, I love my mom, and I still wanted her to be my mom. I still um, wanted to you know, have her when she was stable, so when she was doing well, I wanted her next to me, um, but then that would usually end in her not doing well. Um, her cycling would come back around. Right. So, so she you was around. Yeah, so you couldn't count on her down there for a few days and things are going well. Oh, it would be even a few months. It might even be a couple years where she was okay at times. Mm-hmm. And then she would fall into an episode that would last a year, maybe two years. Mm-hmm. And it was horrific to watch mm-hmm. and be, be a part of. Yeah, I absolutely understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and watched your mom mm-hmm. do that. So, And watched you watch your mom do that. Yes. Because I was primarily your person. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I hope listeners are getting the complicated picture that being a child of a mentally ill parent is. It's more than just being parentified. It's more than uh, you didn't have the mom you wished you had. Mm-hmm. Let's move here to when your mom died. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to go into that whole thing because that was a, a very difficult time yes. with how that occurred. Um, but there's a part of a child that when their parent dies and they have not been the parent that you wished they could have been, mm-hmm. that you lose the hope of them ever becoming that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the grief. Yeah. Did you experience that with your mom? Sure. Like... Um my dream for her never came true, or my dream for me never came true. And tell us what that dream was. Oh, I guess the closest thing that could have been reality was her finding a, a med cocktail that stabilized her and that she liked to be on and, and that she stayed on and she was could be predictable and be a grandma and... Um, and I'd hoped for something like that, and um, it just didn't, that wasn't meant to be in this life. Right. So with her death comes the shattering of that dream. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I know, that's hard, sweetie. And, and I, I miss her very much, but it, it has been a tran- definitely a huge transition to not have her in this life now with me. And I've been able to experience an element of normalcy now. Mm-hmm. Whatever that might mean. Well, you're not holding your breath. Yes. That she's going to go in and out and cycle. Yes. And I also know your mom, knew your mom well, and I could see her saying, I'm so relieved for Megan that she is not having to deal with that anymore. Yes. 
She knew, she was very well educated. She was an extremely educated woman and very bright. She would have said bipolar is horrible. Horrible for me, horrible for my child, horrible for anybody around me. And she would have been the first to be relieved Mm -hmm. that you don't have to do that anymore. And I think it was her dream, too, for there's some to be some kind of cocktail that would stabilize her and make her okay. Yeah, Yeah, your mom was an incredible spirit and a force to be reckoned with. (laughs) And you're larger than life. You're absolutely right. But had that creative, brilliant side of her. Mm That was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to tell you, to this day, when I see someone in the store with kind of wild, long blonde hair to their shoulders, and they're walking away from me, part of me wants to go, oh, I'm sure it's her. Yes. <laughs> and yes. it absolutely makes me smile. Yes. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. But so the parentification, the, the codependency, the, you not having the childhood. Mm-hmm. And it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be angry about that. You can be just traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. But what I love about something you've done is you have built resiliency, education. Um, it makes you so empathetic for other people and extremely intuitive. Mm-hmm. You, Any child of a mentally ill parent is going to be incredibly sensitive to other people's moods. Because you have years of practice of testing the air. Are we in depression? Is she angry? Is she stoned? Is she drunk? Is she, you know, where are we right now? (laughs) And that is incredible training for observation and intuition. Now, do you you recognize those skills in yourself? I think you do, but... Yes. I, I, I notice the subtleties with people, and I can... Definitely pick up on people's moods very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a gift, but it's also annoying at times. A blessing and a curse. A blessing and a curse, yes. Yeah. So, and I think the secret, and we're gonna, as we give some coping skills in this last section when we get there, one of the secrets is to know where you end and someone else begins. We're going to talk more about that. Um, it's just so important that you recognize you are not, your mother's mental illness. Mm-hmm. And that's easy to say mm-hmm. when you're living it 24-7. Mm-hmm. But that's the resiliency that you begin to build, and I watched you build that. I am not my mother's mental illness. I am there, and yes, I'm thrown into the role of caregiver, but it's not who I am. It does not define me. It does not define me. Define my character. Right. And that's easier said than done, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, it does not define my future. Ah, can you speak to that a little bit? Because that's important. Yes. Um, I think when I was a child, I, I thought that my my circumstance would last forever. And um, I realized that um, as an adult, I had the power to change my circumstance. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to kind of grab the reins of my life and steer it in, in a direction that... Um, was authentic to me, away yeah. from my mother. And I'm mm-hmm. still obviously on that journey. Yeah. Um, but my, my future did not um, need to be full of sickness. <laughs> right. I remember when you were young, and I remember the first time I said this to you, it was, I said to you, look, childhood is terminal. Yeah. It ends. Yes. And this will end for you someday in, in you being a little kid. Mm-hmm. And we used to talk about four more years, four more years. Yeah. I remember three more years, three more years, two more years, yeah. two more years. Yeah. And it was when can you launch, like go off to college mm-hmm. and be freed from the caregiver role some, yeah. even though we kind of knew that 
you would never be fully freed from it, mm-hmm. but freed from the 24-7 part of it. Yes. And I remember you clinging to that, and we would hold on to that. And yes. sometimes you would leave, and I'd go, okay, I remember, three more years. Yeah, <laughs> three more years. Yes. Yes. It was beautiful, and you, you were so cute. You were just a smart, cute, resilient little kid, but you have become this incredible adult woman who is strong and a good mom and finishing her degree, and it's... I think your mom would be extremely proud thank if she you. saw you right here today, right now. Oh, thank you. And I know how much she deeply loved you. Yes. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, Megan and I both want to leave you with as many coping skills as we can. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and I'm here with Megan, and we're talking about mental illness and being a child raised in that environment. We want to give you some coping skills, and whether you are a child dealing with this right now, and a child, I mean that you're still under 18, uh, you might be 17 (laughs) dealing with this, or if you're a young adult who uh, is still dealing with a mentally ill parent, like Meg's had to do, you know, from far away, even when she was at school, Um, or you're an adult now and you have a mentally ill parent that you grew up with and still is mentally ill. We just want to tell you that we know it isn't easy and we're not throwing out things, just do this, you know, do the best you can at all times. But we want to throw out a couple of things that are really, really important. Um, Megan, you you were just saying something really important that, if I, I asked you, what are some things that you would tell a current child of a mentally ill adult, that some things they could do to get some help? Wow. Um, reaching out to a trusted teacher or a school counselor or if you have access to a therapist, um, I think that that is paramount. Um, yes. At least in my experience, I, I think that I... Um, I think I'd be in a lot different of a situation if I did not have access to therapy as a child and as an adult. Um, therapists are able to guide you um, through this cir- your circumstance and give you some tools to manage. Mm-hmm. And, and even just on. an outlet to yes. have your time and your feelings and what you're going through. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing is if you don't have access to any of that stuff, mm-hmm. you can always call a helpline. Yes. And then one of the beauties of social media, and there aren't too many these days, <laughs> one of the beauties of social media is you could get on a mm-hmm. Facebook site and it will, you can actually find one that says children of mentally ill parents. Uh, and sometimes that forum is where you can go to be authentic in yourself and to commiserate or get advice or does anybody else deal with this? You don't have to reinvent the wheel. So don't hesitate to reach out of yourself. Now, the other thing is I, I often see people that don't, call family members or don't call the neighbor or part of the reason is sometimes the mentally ill parent is like don't tell anybody you're sworn to silence mm-hmm. how often were you silenced oh, oh there was no secret that my mother was mentally ill um so that element um was not silenced but i i was silenced in a certain 
respect where there was just no room for me to speak because my mother was so loud and, and yeah. big. Um, there wasn't enough oxygen in the room for you to breathe, yes, too. Yes, and I identify with the in, invisible child um, where I, there was no time for, for me, essentially, because my mother was in such a crisis consistently. Right. And it's so interesting because that could come and go, too. Like there were times when you were on the tennis team and enjoying that and having a great time. And if she was doing well, she'd show up and watch your match. Mm -hmm. And then there were times that it was hard for you to leave for tennis practice because you couldn't leave her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Which which touches on something that's really interesting. One of the greatest angst that I see with people that deal with family members with mental illness is that they're going to kill themselves. And realistically... Suicide is often a res- an ending result for people with severe mental illness. And hopefully not, but I would be remiss in telling you that that wasn't true. The biggest issue is how do you do it's not your fault? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you went to your tennis match and your mom stayed home because she was really sideways. Mm-hmm. Did you walk in the door thinking, is she? Sure. Alive or dead? Absolutely. And there were certain times where I was more fearful of that. um, And I would have to debate if I should leave her alone or not. Um, So I absolutely feared walking into a scene that Mm -hmm. um, no child would want to to walk into. Exactly. Or even an adult. Uh, Yeah, anyone. But picture a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 16-year-old who drove herself to her tennis match and came back and Mm -hmm. what's going on. Mm -hmm. So the message that I think both... Meg and I want to give you is that should that happen in your life, you've got to hang on to it's not your fault. You've done everything you can. You do the best you can to manage an impossible circumstance. like jello without a mold. (laughs) It's all over the place. You're an impossible circumstance. So you're doing the best you can. And if that were to happen, There's a a gamut of things that you end up feeling. There is certainly relief at being freed from the mental illness, and then there's guilt and shame for feeling that. There's loss of the hope and the dream that someday they won't be mentally ill, and the hope and the dream that they would someday be the parent that you wish they would be. And uh, there's also just the grief and loss of the part that was good, because Mentally ill people cycle through being okay and being fun. And like the beginning of a manic can be really fun. And they're happy and excited and they're engaged. And then it can keep spiraling up until it becomes bouncing off the walls in in a bad way. But suicide, the fear of it, the anticipation, the uh, worry constantly. And you have said that was part of your life. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how that piece was traumatic for you? Oh, I'm not sure if I can find the words to fully explain that kind of um, stress. Um, so stressful. It was yes, stressful. Um, it made it impossible for me to be present mm-hmm. in my day to day life outside of the home. Um, when I was at school, when I was. Um, playing sports. She was always on my mind. Um, it was something I, I felt the need to check in with her consistently, have eyes on her, um, or have someone else check on her. Um, it was just, it was impossible for me to be present. Okay. So it, it took you out of the moment. Yes. And it was stressful. Yes. 
And that created its own type of anxiety for you. Yes. Well, even when that period of time where you were trying to set boundaries and not mm-hmm. being involved in their life constantly. Yes. And you'd get 100 phone calls that yes. you didn't answer. Yes. Then you start to think, if I don't call her back, yes. is she going to do something? Yes. And if she does something, is my fault Yeah. that I didn't call her back? Like if I didn't call her back, you know, maybe I could have um, provided an intervention of some sort that would have saved her in, in a moment. Um, right. Because how many times had you provided that intervention? Many times. Right. Okay. So the coping skill we're asking you to remember is that you cannot keep somebody from killing themselves 24-7 every single second of every single day. If they're intent on doing it, they will find a way when your back is turned. And it's not your back is turned in anger. Your back is turned because you went to school Mm -hmm. or you were at your tennis match. If you even got to play on the tennis team because of that. Um, So just know that you cannot be 24-7 every single second. And there's a podcast I did called Guilt, Shame, and Blame. It would be a good one for you to listen to. But recognizing that that's a possibility, but trying not to have the constant anxiety of it. And if you do, recognizing that, and that's something you would talk to with a school counselor or a teacher or a trusted family member or your therapist or the helpline, mm-hmm. okay? Just be able to get it out and say it out loud. I'm so afraid my parent is going to kill themselves and it will be my fault. Say it out loud. And now if you're an adult, Surviving the trauma of having had a mentally ill parent, and some often they're still alive, so you're still dealing with it. It doesn't go away because you magically turn 18. Any coping skill you can think of, because you you still had your mom for quite a while as yes. an adult. Yes. Any coping skill you can think to tell adults as they're young adults as they're trying to come into their own. Um, I think a just a very basic thing that I started doing was um, checking in with myself and identifying my basic needs on a daily basis to try to bring my focus back to myself um, so that I could flourish and grow as a person. So identifying everything from when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, when I need to rest, um, when I need uh, just alone time from other people. Um, That was just an effort to to find myself and identify with my basic needs and to um, take the focus away from my hyper-focusing on my mother. Right. Um, so that's just a basic. I remember when you started to learn how to ask yourself what you were feeling, mm-hmm. identify it, mm-hmm. and make it okay. Yes. There mm-hmm. was never room for you to, like, for you to say, I'm sad, I'm embarrassed, mm-hmm. I, I had a bad day today, mm-hmm. that there wasn't room for that when no. you were little. Some occasion, and occasionally there would be. Yeah. Especially when your mom was on, wow. mm-hmm. she might say, "How was your day?" and really be listening to, "How was your day?" and yeah. and give you great advice and yes. be a shoulder to cry on. Yes. But that was sporadic, mm-hmm. and I was always chasing those moments. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you and you remember a lot of them now, which is beautiful. Yeah. Those are some of your best memories of your mom. Absolutely. So as an adult, you learning to do feeling identification mm-hmm. for yourself, mm-hmm. not for the other people in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I feel? Why am I feeling it? Uh, giving yourself permission to hold that mm-hmm. and then learn how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge for somebody who was taught do everyone else's feelings first. 
or only do yours sporadically when there's time, but well, there might not be time two minutes from now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I hope we're giving you a flavor of the chaos that can happen of living with mental illness. Yes. So, you know, there are so many things we could tell people for coping skills. Many people of children or adults of people with mental illness suffer from their own depression or anxiety and their stress from what they've been through. Um, go to Dr. Patricia Bay Therapy in a Nutshell podcast. It's on every podcast forum. There is about 120 titles Scan through the titles, and when one jumps out at you, like guilt, shame, and blame, or depression, or anxiety, or anticipatory anxiety, or caregiving, or <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them, listen to them. They're free. They're going to help you. They're going to give you coping skills for that emotion. So, you know, part of me wishes that we had three hours to really dive into this even more in depth. But we're at the end, and I just want to, with deep gratitude, thank Megan for being vulnerable and brave and showing up today to talk about her experience. Thank you, Patty, for having me. You're just a sweetheart, and I love you tremendously. I love you, too. Thank you. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you've been listening to Therapy in a Nutshell, where I just want to help heal the world one hour at a time. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice. Shasta Regional Medical Center.